0: Hello and welcome back to the CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Molly Rao, with my co-host, Jessica Rickert. Today's podcast features Laura Rissau. Laura's
1: work centers around writing stories for young adults inspired from her travels from around the world. Laura shares how she collaborates with different people to share their stories. Welcome, Laura. We are so excited to have you on the CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. And you're a local author up in Fort Collins, so pretty close to us. Um, The first thing I wanted to ask you about your books, which was fascinating to me, is that you write about where you lived and where you traveled. And based on your books, you've done a lot of traveling. So, can you kind of tell us about your experiences and just kind of how you get your stories from your travels.
2: Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me here. I'm I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Um, yeah, so I love traveling and it's one of the things I miss most during pandemic times. Um, yeah, really traveling kind of sparked my whole writing journey. Um, I, I always was interested in learning about different cultures, um, I majored in anthropology, cultural anthropology um, in college and, um, and French, which turned out not to be too terribly useful, <laughs> but um, yeah, after I graduated from college, I decided I wanted to live abroad somewhere. And so I randomly sent uh, job applications around the world, really to one on every continent almost, um, to be an English teacher. And the first place that accepted me was a little college in the mountains of Oaxaca, Mexico. And at the time I didn't speak Spanish, but I decided I wanted an adventure. I wanted to, to learn something new and put myself out there. So I took the job and it was just life changing. I loved it. Um, I became fluent in Spanish pretty quickly because hardly anybody in my town spoke English and um, just really created some amazing connections with my students and then with people in the communities um, around where I was living. Um, so I ended up living there for two years and and you know, becoming fluent in Spanish really opened the door for Kind of more, kind of deeper connections with people in in places that I traveled and lived abroad, and so um, I pretty much after living in Oaxaca for two years, I I went back and did a master's research there for my cultural anthropology uh, master's degree, and um, and then I just you know started traveling around Latin America quite a bit. Um, yeah. I formed some really meaningful connections with people in Ecuador and did some book collaborations with them. Um, so yeah, Latin America really has my heart. Uh, my son is adopted from Guatemala, um, so we have really strong family connections there. Um, and. You know, I also love Europe. I lived in France for a year and love uh, finding excuses to go back. I, I have set a book there. Um, so, so yeah, travel is incredibly inspirational for my stories. Um, I always carry a notebook around whenever I'm traveling, whenever I'm exploring a new place and just jot down bits and pieces of conversations with people, um, any, any interesting stories I hear, places I visit. Um, you know, it all becomes kind of raw material for for future books. And I think I know the answer in my head,
0: but I'm going to leave it open-ended. Is it coming Uh, through yet? Yes. Okay. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Living in Oaxaca, did that inspire any particular books that you wrote
2: or... It did, it it inspired several actually. I think Oaxaca is one of my favorite places in the world. Um, my first two books are both mostly set in Oaxaca. So those are What the Moon Saw and Red Glass. And um, Red Glass is actually, you know, people ask if there's anything autobiographical in my books. And I do always pick bits and pieces of my own life and my own teen years and childhood years and, and kind of sprinkle those throughout the, the books. But red glass really um, kind of was a, a reflection of my own journey going to Oaxaca. So I had a lot of anxiety issues when I was a child and a teenager, and it was really terrifying for me <laughs> to go live in a place. Um, you know, I was just in my early twenties to go live in a place where I didn't speak the language, I didn't know anybody, and it was it was really really scary. But I ended up. Um, I think when you're when you put yourself in such a vulnerable situation that that really brings out the kindness in other people and it kind of brings out your willingness to connect with other people in a deeper way. And so I ended up creating really close bonds with with people there. Um, And that's what the main character, Sophie, in the book Red Glass kind of ends up discovering as well, is that if she puts herself out there, she goes on a road trip with kind of a cast of. Of uh, quirky characters down into Oaxaca and then even further into Guatemala, and she she ends up really bonding with them and kind of learning that you know the world is a kind place and that if you put yourself out there you'll be you'll be met halfway. So she has some adventures that kind of echo my own adventures when I lived in Oaxaca. Um, so those those two books are have a, have a similar setting. And then more recently I wrote a book called The Lightning Queen that has a more historical Oaxacan setting that was inspired by oral histories. I heard about the Romani people whose caravans would travel through there, uh, the remote, remote Oaxacan villages. So um, that was kind of a, a, a story that I had, had heard bits and pieces of and wanted to do some research and kind of um, it, it add bits of my imagination. And um, so that became the book The Lightning Queen set in rural Oaxaca
0: and thinking about developing your books, so you talked about this journal that you carry around, and you just mentioned oral histories um, to help develop the Lightning Queen. How do you go about starting some of the conversations with locals? Or, I mean, do you do additional research from, you know, books and other sources? Or is it mostly like anthropological, like learn from the people um, so mm-hmm. like, just h- how do you go about collecting that information that you put in your journal that you then assemble into some of these awesome books?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Molly. Yeah, I I, I think um, my basic kind of attitude going into a new place is just kind of opening myself up to adventure and to meeting new people. I love traveling alone because when I travel alone, I feel like it's so much easier to meet people. Um, and so, you know, I try and open myself up and if I get the opportunity to do something interesting or different, I say yes. Um, so for example, in, when I was living in Oaxaca, when my students found out, my students were only a few years younger than me at the time. And when they found out I was interested in learning more about indigenous cultures in the area, you know, they would say, oh, hey, like, come, come, to, come to my community, come to my village and, uh, you can meet my grandparents, and they can teach you how to speak Mixteco or Mazateco or Zapateco, and so I w- had this opportunity to, to kind of um, kind of participate in the daily lives of people, and so I would help people harvest. Um, vegetable like harvest beans or corn. And I would um, help people like I would try to help make tortillas and, and food and, um, and they were very patient with my uh, <laughs> weirdly shaped tortillas. <laughs> and uh, um, So I, you know, I, I just do have a an anthropological approach, I guess, like participant observation, asking lots of questions, um, kind of, just just asking if it's okay if I participate in, and help them out with their tasks every day and I find that a lot of stories come up when we do things together. And so I just so many of my so many interesting stories i've heard and oral histories have just come from. You know, taking like the corn kernels off of hardened corn cobs with a bunch of women and they talk about their lives and it was completely fascinating. I also um, had the opportunity to participate in different healing ceremonies and rituals. And this is something that really interests me as an anthropologist. And so, you know, again, like that's a really intense sensory and spiritual experience. And I always felt really honored and humbled that I got to participate in those kinds of ceremonies. And they also kind of opened up whole new worlds of stories and relationships and emotions and, and, um, So I would say, you know, those are some of the doorways that I maybe kind of go through. Um, And I don't know that I'm exactly looking for stories so much as looking for relationships. I'm looking for ways to connect with people. And often story is a great way to do that.
1: How did you go from anthropology to being an author then? Was that, were you always thinking you were going to be an author or did it just kind of come about?
2: Yeah. So I always loved books. I loved reading. My mom read books with me every night, like well through middle school, we would, we had a ritual of reading together. Um, So books were very, very special to me. And um, I would write stories as a teenager. I would kind of write them in secret. Um, I was really shy about my writing it just I felt like it kind of came from my soul and I was just terrified that somebody would criticize it or think I was weird for spending like hours a day writing these stories and so I just um, had just so many insecurities that prevented me from from saying hey I'm a writer or hey I want to be a writer and so I ended up kind of keeping my writing a secret for, for really until my mid 20s. I would say is when I started getting brave enough. Um, but I had always liked school and and I liked anthropology. I liked learning about different cultures, and so it just kind of seemed like an easy pathway for me and an interesting pathway. And um, it wasn't when I was in um, Oaxaca. That's when I really started writing a lot and just kind of. In a very intense way, filling notebook after notebook, so many stories, so much stimulation. And I felt there were really important kind of stories, too, that I felt like, you know these stories should be out in the world. Um, and so I uh, start that's when I started getting brave enough to start sharing my writing with other people. Um, and you know with with anthropology, I did my master's research in Oaxaca um, with healers, with women. Um, was looking at indigenous healing practices for postpartum women. And that was just absolutely fascinating. And women shared so many amazing stories with me. Um, And so I, at that point, after I finished my master's degree, I thought, okay, well either I go get my PhD and I become a professor and I publish papers that like nobody can understand except other academics (laughs) or I really look at my creative writing And I try to publish these stories that I have been so immersed in and so impassioned by. And I can take the risk and try and share them with other people and connect with other people through the stories. And I just always loved writing specifically for children and teens because I felt like the books that affected me the most were books that I read when I was a child and a teenager. And I just feel like at that age, your mind is just so open to new experiences, new stories. And I feel like when you read a story that you connect with at that age, like it can just be life changing for you. And so I always knew I wanted to write for children. And so that was, um, you know, it was a kind of a crossroads I came to, like, am I going to pursue my PhD? Or am I going to take this wild risk of trying to get my books published? And so I, I did, I ended up kind of following that passion, I had to teach um, I taught I had a lot of part-time jobs <laughs> during the first few years <laughs> I taught ESL I was an early a bilingual early childhood specialist um, I did a lot of translating and interpreting um, for different like nonprofit organizations so um, it, it took me a while but then finally like I guess in my late 20s that's when I started actually. of realizing the dream of being a published writer.
0: So you mentioned that there were some
2: books that were really powerful for you
0: and that was part of what made you want to write for you know kids and teens. Are you willing to share some of those books or a couple that you can think of that kind of really meant something to you and had a big impact on you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, you know, I had a really special relationship with my the librarian at my public library. I grew up in Baltimore. And um, she knew exactly what my taste in books was. I liked the little magic in there. I liked the little mind-bendy sci-fi stuff. And I I also liked learning about other cultures. So she would like put aside books she thought I would like. Uh, Her name was Miss Levi and we have since reconnected and become friends. Um, But she put aside, I remember Tuck Everlasting, which um, really made me, well, first of all, it's beautifully written, it's by Natalie Babbitt. And um, I just loved, like, the prose. I thought it was gorgeous. And then I also loved some of the existential questions, like, would you want to live forever? And and then, of course, like every other writer out there, I really loved A Wrinkle in Time, you know, again, like, just expanding your mind to think about your place in the universe. And um, that was really special for me. Um, As far as learning about other cultures, I really enjoyed Scott O'Dell's books, um, like Island of the Blue Dolphins. I remember reading that with my mom before bed. And, and so yeah, those are some of the books that really kind of stayed with me and kind of found their place in my heart and have, you know, stayed with me all these years. So
0: I hadn't thought of Scott O'Dell in years, but that was definitely an <laughs> author, you know, when I was that age too, like right. I just consumed everything I could by him. I have a minor in anthropology, by the Ooh, way. So I yay. share that love of <laughs> studying culture.
2: Um, <laughs> uh, I love meeting other anthropologists. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a different way of thinking and approaching the it world.
0: Is. It um, absolutely is, yeah. Thinking of a little bit more of some of the different things that you go through as an author I'm thinking about. So I consumed the, the lightning queen as an audiobook. What was that process like, like trying to choose or, you know, what does it look like when you're trying to pick a reader to, you know, do justice to your book and all these characters, especially a book like that, where you've got multiple narrators to kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, at least, you know, multiple voices to bring through in that story.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you listened to it. I I think that those guys did such a fantastic job. And um I was lucky so that was through Scholastic and I was lucky enough to get to participate in selecting the readers, the voice actors, which doesn't always happen. And so um yeah, they they sent me a number of, you know, audio clips from from the different from different possible um narrators and um, yeah, so I got to, I got to kind of narrow it down and choose those two. And um, yeah, I was just completely enamored of of their interpretation Um, and the, I'm trying to remember his name and I can't, it's it's slipping my mind, but the, but the voice actor who played Teo, the older, the older uh, man who is narrating about his childhood, it was so sweet. He said that there were certain points in the story where he had to, he, he had to stop because he was starting to cry. And I was like, oh, that's just the ultimate compliment is that he felt moved enough during those sections that he just kind of lost it. So that was, that was really, really sweet. My editor passed that on to me. Um, but yeah, I, I was just so pleased with how that audiobook turned out. Yeah, they they definitely did a good job and you did
0: a good job helping them select some fantastic
2: well thank uh, voice you
0: thank you I, I really enjoyed that one and sometimes audiobooks mm, they
2: just get uh-huh. ruined by the readers so I, think that's I good hear ones for you that one. <laughs> I totally hear you yeah
0: <laughs> the other thing I was thinking is more about your writing process and specifically editing it so obviously you know you talked about at some points just filling your journal through Full of words, mm-hmm. but what's your process to kind of take all those words and all those ideas and things that you've kind of poured out and sort of crafting that and sculpting that into the final book product?
2: Yeah. Um, so great question. Um, so you know, I, I I find myself filling up my notebooks, and I have notebooks all over the house, and <laughs> you know, I'm always I'm always jotting down ideas and like my handwriting is so messy. I'm the only one who could possibly read it. But um, I, I find myself kind of going back to certain themes or different character ideas or different setting ideas. And I'll find myself writing more and more about it. And then usually at some point, I say, okay, I'm going to actually like go sit down at my computer and I'm going to start typing out some ideas. And um, so then I'll kind of, you know, start some files maybe start a folder with like new book idea and um i often will just kind of jump in and i'll start doing um maybe bits of dialogue or bits of scene or description or character sketching and gradually the story starts taking shape um and at this time too if i need to do some research i might get a stack of books from the library or start doing online research and um then at some point when I feel like I have kind of a sense of of what the book wants to be then I might kind of look at the overall structure and I kind of think of that as like the you know like if you're looking at google maps you have this you have the bird's eye view and you have the big picture and that's how I think of my outlines and so I'm always tweaking my outlines Um, I often use a hero's journey structure Um, and so I'm always kind of tweaking it so I might do some outlining with the big picture bird's eye view and then I might dive back into like what I think of as the street view where I'm actually in a scene and I'm actually doing the dialogue and doing the setting details and so I'll kind of go back and forth between you know those two different views big picture and then detail Um, and I always write about the book while I'm writing it so you know I I have you know my notebooks I might just say okay well you know how do I figure out, I don't know, how do I figure out the challenge of how to quicken or increase the pace? Or how do I figure out the challenge of setting the tone and hooking readers in the first chapter? So, you know, and so I'm always like having this conversation with myself on the sidelines (laughs) to, to, to really process what's going on with the writing. And at times if I'm lagging and I'm feeling like, unenthusiastic about the book or I'm feeling like it's too hard or it's just bad, (laughs) then I I might give myself some pep talks in my notebook and I might say, "Okay, here are all the reasons why you love this book. Here are all the reasons why you want to write this book, you know. So um, I have like a bunch of tools in my toolbox (laughs) that can help me kind of psychologically get through the process of writing a book, because I think a huge part of the process is psychological. How do you deal with the doubts that keep creeping up um, throughout the process. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of a glimpse into my writing process.
0: Well, and now I'm kind of curious about in your notebooks because you said you might, you know, add some notes on a character and develop them more. is there any organization to these notebooks or are you just like digging through and, you know, sometimes (laughs) stuff sticks with you and you keep writing about it or Mm -hmm. like, do you have a system with the notebooks or is it just, you know, Mm -hmm. chaos that you just, you know, creative chaos
2: that, has a glorious end. Uh, <laughs> I love that description. I, I I have a lot of chaos in my life, and I'm pretty messy. <laughs> but I do, in order to not feel completely overwhelmed and buried under paper, I do have a system. I have old-fashioned three-ring binders that I use. And so I just have sections. So I'll have like the character sketch section. I'll have the outline section, a research section. Um, so that really helps me kind of consolidate everything in an organized way and you know i really find for me i'm just an old-fashioned kind of hard copy paper kind of person and that work i've tried at different times to use i know a lot of writers use scrivener which is kind of a, a way to organize all of this stuff on um you know through software um, and all, it, all digitally. And I just, that that doesn't work for me personally. <laughs> I need to have it, I need to have the papers. Um, and it's kind of fun to, to make the binders because that's when I feel like, wow, I'm really writing a book now. And I, I often like have some artwork on the cover of it that makes it feel special. Um, and then I have like a little sticker system. So I, I print out little charts like my, uh, um goals for uh the the day um how how long i hope to write and and then i have like little stickers if i accomplish my goal for my writing session so I have these are little butterfly stickers (laughs) you can see Um, and I find that really motivating to to, like I want to get the butterfly sticker today (laughs) Um, so yeah again like having these psychological tools to kind of push me through the hard parts or get me in the routine that's so helpful to me
0: so you're just like my students. We just set goals and then you're hoping for that sticker or that stamp <laughs> or even the check mark. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like it.
2: I like that. It's so important. It's so <laughs> important to have your goals, to have the steps you take to reach your goals. Um, it makes the whole thing seem a lot more manageable because, you know, writing a book, it can take several years. And if you don't have these kind of little motivators along the way, it's really easy to give up.
0: So that leads me to tell me about your goal setting process. Like, how do you write some goals for you? I think, you know, that would be something yeah. teachers might love to hear from mm. an author because they can definitely take that back to their students and be like, okay, this is right. what Laura Resaw does. <laughs> we
2: can try it in our class. Yeah. So I kind of have different different levels of goals and um, I'm in a writer's group. And so we meet every two weeks and one of our rituals is at the beginning of every new year we have a little celebration and we share our goals with each other and we actually write them down and we hand them out and um and so there's that level of accountability and you're you know your writing group is cheering you on um and then i also just print out my goals those goals that i discuss with my writing group and i might choose like five of the five of the biggest ones right like five big projects that i might be doing at different stages. I might be at the brainstorming stage for one book, I might be uh, re, um, revising stage of another, copy editing and page proofing with an editor, and another, you know, marketing another. So, you know, I have these different, different goals and I actually print them out and put them right on my desk. And I um, that, you know, if I'm sitting at my desk, I can see my goals. And I know if I'm just messing around doing some online shopping or social media that has nothing to do with my goals, like I know I have to get back on track. And um, so I find that really useful. And then in addition to those like big picture goals for the year, I also have, um, you know, I also write out, well, what are my steps to those goals? What do I... You know how do I get from point A A to point B? And that's I also look at that document pretty frequently, um, and then I like write on my calendar. You know what do I hope to have done by this date? What do I have hope to have done by you know the next date? So I kind of like plotting out what what that looks like. Um, so so those yeah those have been effective strategies for me so far and it's it's fun to like get to check off your goals or get the sticker and feel that sense of accomplishment um and uh yeah that's one of my big recommendations i get a lot of emails from uh, aspiring young writers and a, a lot of their issues involve like well you know, writing a book is such a huge, huge undertaking. How do you divide it into manageable steps? How do you actually get it done without getting distracted and moving on to some other project after a few weeks?
1: So do you write just one book at a time or do you have multiple books in the, in different stages?
2: So I usually have several books going on at one time and And I like that because if things are getting hard with one book, then I can kind of shift over to the other project and like, and maybe let my unconscious mind (laughs) do its magic. (laughs) And then maybe when, you know, after a few weeks or a few months, I'll go back to the other, you know, the, the, the abandoned project and I will dive back into it kind of with a fresh take on it or new energy. Um, And so you know, for me, it's just about I don't want to invest 100% of my creative energy into one thing, because if that doesn't work out, it's going to completely crush my soul. (laughs) So I like to have a few things going on. So if one thing doesn't work out. At least I have these other projects that are going to make me feel fulfilled and kind of excited about about uh, my creative life. So yeah, I usually have several going on at one time.
0: Okay, So don't put all your writing eggs in one basket yes um <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and i had a question and it just oh my head. <laughs> what was it i
2: got i got so excited about the eggs oh yeah um, yes, yes. <laughs> perfect perfect uh, analogy
0: <laughs> oh i was thinking so you know you said travel and you know that experiential sort of study that comes with anthropology is an important part of your process. Where would you want to travel to next? Maybe somewhere you haven't been yet that you'd mm. like to explore and maybe hope will inspire a future book.
2: Yeah, so I, I the, my most recent travel has been to the Amazon rainforest in Ecuador. And I would love to go back to the Amazon, but I'd love to go to Brazil. Um, I, I, I speak French and Spanish and I love Portuguese. I love the way Brazilian Portuguese sounds and I feel like it's so close <laughs> to Spanish. To, I, feel like, I feel like with a little, I don't know, with a little effort, I feel like I could communicate in Portuguese. Um, and I'd really like to take my husband and son along. So my last trip um, to South America, to the Amazon, I went by myself. And um, I just kept thinking, oh my gosh, my husband and kid would love this. My, my son is 14 now, he, they would love this so much. Um, so yeah, I think, I think going back to the Amazon, kind of doing a deeper dive into understanding even more about the environmental issues and issues indigenous people are facing there. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to see that in other parts of South America beyond just Ecuador
1: and speaking of Ecuador and the Amazon do you want to share about your new book that's coming out in the summer of 2022
2: I would love to and i have to say that date got pushed back um so we're that we have an absolutely wonderful ecuadorian artist working on the the illustrations and um she's doing a great job but she had some delays so we have to push it back uh summer it'll be out summer 2023 but um but it's, you know, you know, we're chugging along with it. Um, but, yeah, that book is my first picture book um for ch- for young children. And I co-wrote it with an indigenous leader from the Ecuadorian Amazon named Patricia Walinga. And um I basically, I reached out to her um because I knew she was a really important leader, especially among Amazonian women, really helping to kind of unite different indigenous groups in in the Amazon, who maybe in previous years didn't get along very well, and now they have this common cause to stand up against the oil companies, the logging, the mining, um, protecting their sacred forest. Um, they have this common goal, and so it's really been largely a women-led move, movement um, to, to protect the the environment and to protect the, their rights, um, and so I, she had been getting death threats for her for her work, and so I kept reading about her, and I thought, you know, I would love to collaborate with her, and and so I just reached out and kind of took a chance, and she said yes, and she ended up just having this wonderful uh, story that kind of linked her early childhood. Experiences to her later experiences as an activist uh, defending her her community, her sacred forest, her commu- where they live, where her her Sarayaku is located, um, from an invading oil company. And so it was a really um, it was a really big struggle. But they they united, they joined forces with um, environmental and indig- indigenous rights organizations around the world. And they were able to make the oil company leave and they were able to protect this land and they were able to get the Ecuadorian government to apologize to them. And um, they they had some pretty important um, legal victories and this kind of helped uh, Patty Patricia and her village kind of lead the way um, for, uh, other villages who were undergoing similar uh, difficult situations, um, and the way I connected, or the way I got interested in this issue, was is that I took a trip to the Ecuadorian Amazon, and I stayed with uh, an indigenous community of Warani people. Um, so. Patricia is from a Quechua community. So it's a different indigenous group, but both in Ecuador. And so I, I stayed with this uh, Waurani community and got to know um, especially the young people because they spoke Spanish and we could communicate pretty well. And they were telling me about all these amazing projects, project ideas they had, book ideas they had. One of my friends was writing a comic book about his, you know, his, his experiences in his community. And this was a really remote, Area of the Amazon, 100% off grid, um, and so I was just really excited. We have this amazing connection. We were we were really excited about kind of moving forward with these projects, and I was gonna return to their community um, with kind of armed with all of the you know the answers to all of their questions and all the different next steps about how they could get their projects out there, and and um, so I was really excited about that. And then when I went to book my trip to go back, um, it turned out that an oil company had invaded their community and put um, dynamite all around it to do uh, oil exploration, explosive um, devices to do um, seismic oil exploration. And so they were displaced and they had to just find other ways to to make a living. They they previously were doing this eco-lodge, which was sustainable and healthy for that their community and the environment, but then they just they they were that got shut down. So it was really heartbreaking that um, they got displaced, that the sacred forest was destroyed. And and also, you know, I felt heartbroken too that we weren't gonna be able to go ahead with these collaborative ideas we had. Um, and so that's when I kind of started seeking out like, well, maybe there's another way I can collaborate with somebody to help get these um, stories and these struggles and these triumphs kind of out, out in the world, especially so young people could could really take them to heart. And so the the, the experiences of the Warani people I stayed with became my uh, middle grade novel, Tree of Dreams. And then that kind of led me into the book with Patricia, uh, which is the picture book called Stand as Tall as the Trees, How an Amazonian Community Protected Their Rainforest. Oh, that's
0: one. That's very cool work that you've been doing. Um, I'm thinking about just the collaborative piece where there some chat you know, are there some challenges for you in working with someone else in creating the book? Or, you know, I'm sure it wasn't all sunshine and roses. But what were the, <laughs> what were the awesome pieces of it that you really appreciate as a writer? And what were some things that were hard? Given that mm-hmm. you've written some other things by yourself, where you know you had mm-hmm. maybe a little more control over the story and where it's going. So how does that change? Kind of what that looks like for you, in good yeah. and difficult
2: ways. Yeah, that's a great question. So I really love collaborating, and um, I so this book with Patricia, um, we have not, especially you know, because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to have in-person communications. I haven't been able to go back down there, um, so it's been exclusively you know like online interactions. Um, that was a challenge for sure. Going into this, we didn't know the pandemic was going to happen. Um, I think another challenge is, you know, she is really busy. Like she's flying across the ocean to visit the Pope. And she's, you know, she's very, she's, she's a really important leader on a glo- and really celebrated on a global level. So she's a busy lady. Um, and so I always wanna be really respectful of her time. Um, and, um, she, you know, then sometimes she'll go into, she'll go into the rainforest and she won't really have much communication. For a few days or a few weeks and so um, you know that's another kind of challenge to work around um, but our editor it's going to be published with Charles Bridge they're so on board with this collaboration so they're you know more than willing to be flexible um, and I really appreciate that and another special thing about the collaboration is Patricia uh, knew this illustrator Vanessa Jaramillo and she her, she's been active in um, the same kind of issues that Patricia has. Her husband is indigenous from another community, a Shuar community, and so she's spent a lot of time in indigenous communities in the rainforest. So she knew very intimately, like the flora, the fauna, the culture, and so she's been able to do a fantastic job with the illustrations because she knows this area so intimately. Um, And so, you know, we wouldn't have connected with her if it weren't for Patricia, so I feel like, you know, the collaboration kind of opens up uh, pathways for more relationships, too. Um, I actually, it was not my first collaboration, I collaborated with another Ecuadorian woman who's also from a Quechua community, but in the mountains, in the Andes of Ecuador, and uh, her name is Maria Virginia Farinango, and we wrote the book, The Queen of Water together, about her uh, childhood. Uh, she was forced into servitude in a household when she was seven years old. She was taken from her family, from her indigenous Quechua family and forced to labor. Um, and she finally escaped when she was 15. But during that time, she had to hold on to her amazing sense of humor and her spunk. And she found really creative ways to resist the oppression of these these uh it was a couple it was they were actually teachers who were basically imprisoning her and um she managed to she was inspired by MacGyver who as she would like obsessively watch she calls him MacGyver <laughs> she was kind of in love with him but you know, she would kind of take notes when he was building booby traps and <laughs> you know, all uh, finding, you know gathering all his resources to find creative ways to escape from oppressive situations. And she she found these super creative ways to find get herself an education in secret, teach herself to read, um, resist their oppression, and she ended up escaping when she was fifteen. And she had to build a whole new life for herself and she did it as she drew on her indigenous roots she relearned her language she started dressing her in her indigenous clothes again and. She now is working on her second master's degree she's a clinical psychologist and she's working with young people in Ecuador, many of whom have gone through similar stuff that she's gone through so she's really inspiring she's one of my closest friends. Um, That. Uh, that uh, collaboration, it it was life-changing for both of us, but it was a ton of work. That book took seven years to write and get published, so it was a major, it was a labor of love for both of us, Um, and that was, you know, what, like a 350-page novel, and so that was a lot more involved, and we, I took multiple research trips to Ecuador. Um, We went back and forth and back and forth, like revision after revision after revision and uh it, it was a ton of work um and after i finished that it was probably one of the most if not the most rewarding book that i have i've written um, i just thought like afterwards it's like oh my gosh <laughs> if i do another collaboration it's going to be a picture book it's going to be sh- much shorter <laughs> and so that's why with patricia i was like okay let's try for a picture book. Um, but yeah, but it was it, I'm so, so, so glad that uh, we did that book, and I feel really grateful that she chose me to do it with her so she this was an example of her reaching out to me. She I taught ESL for many years English is a second language and Maria Virginia was a student at the school where I was teaching, and so we connected that way. And she asked me if I would write her story with her. And after hearing her story, I was completely blown away. And I, more than anything, I wanted to write the story with her. And my master's in anthropology kind of came into my life. You know, it was was actually useful. Like, (laughs) it actually helped me with that book. I think having an anthropologist, anthropologist perspective on the The dynamics of class and race and gender and everything like it really helped me understand what was going on in Ecuadorian society at that time when she was in in her girlhood and how these forces like really impacted her life and how she resisted them in super creative ways so. um, So yeah that was my other collaboration uh, (laughs) adventure Um, and since i've done some other collaborating as well. um, a friend of mine who's an immigrant from Mexico. She's one of my closest friends. She was also my, she was a student of mine at the same school. And she ended up translating my book, Star in the Forest, which is a young middle grade novel that was inspired by her family and her community. And so she ended up, uh, she became my kind of creative writing partner and uh, she translated it to Spanish. So now it's available uh, through Scholastic Scholastic in Espanol. Um, And now she's uh, the cultural consultant for the movie that's in development for that book so we're thrilled about that and that's kind of been another interesting collaboration in my life that's been meaningful for both of us. Um, So yeah I I love collaborating and I've seen how it can just change lives that's great. Alright, after hearing about all of these
0: people, I'm sure many of them are on the list, but as a writer, who are some of your like heroes or inspirations now that, you know, we talked about like books you loved as a kid, but who are, who are some of maybe your more recent heroes that inspire you to do what you do or just help you on the journey to be the awesome writer that you are?
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, I, there, it's it's funny you mentioned this, that you were going to ask me this question at the beginning, so I've had this whole time to be thinking of an answer, and I still don't have a good one. But um, no, I think that I would really have to say that my current heroes are the people in my writing group. They, I, I, I don't think I could do this without them. Um, so we have a writing group called Old Town Writers Group, and we have... Um, two adult writers. So Lara Pritchett, she writes amazing uh, literary fiction set in the West and really, really beautiful, beautiful prose. And again, tackling like really important issues too, like the environment and um, great Really great stuff. So Stars Go Blue is one of my favorite books by her. Um, And then another writer, uh, so um, she has a lot of pen names. I'm trying to think which pen name I should use. (laughs) Bailey Cates, Bailey Cattrall. She's got a bunch, Cricket McRae. She writes cozy mysteries and they're so much fun. And it's really neat having people from different genres in one group. We learn so much from each other. Um, And then Todd Mitchell is the fourth person in our group. He's a young adult writer. Um, And again, he's interested in environmental issues as well. That's something we all have in common, Um, but um, yeah. So we all just really support each other. We give each other feedback. Um, we, we share writing information, like what's going on in the community, what's going on in the industry. Um, and so they're. I really feel like they're my heroes. I admire them so much. I admire their writing. Uh, they're really good people. They're really smart people. And, um, yeah, I just feel, I feel so privileged to have, you know, people in my life, in my life who, um, who I know personally and who inspire me in such a big way.
1: that's amazing. And I think everybody has a long list of books that they need to go and read now after listening to you. (laughs) You're so inspiring. And just the stories of the Indigenous people and the connections you've had are so amazing and definitely makes me want to read even more of your books now.
2: (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, Jessica. I appreciate that.
1: Well, if you guys want to see Laura, she is going to be at the conference and she will have more to share. But thank you so much for being with us tonight. It was so good to talk to you.
2: Thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you, Molly. I loved your questions and I loved our conversation. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. To find out more about CCIRA, go to CCIRA.org. On CCIRA.org, you can join as a member or find great resources like our professional development blog, which posts every Tuesday and has a variety of guest writers on an awesome selection of topics. CCIRA is a professional organization of educators and community members dedicated to the promotion and advancement of literacy. We also have a Twitter account at Colorado Reading. You can find us on Instagram at CCIRA underscore Colorado Reading. Or you can find us on Facebook where we also have a members only group that we're trying to build. And our Facebook account is CCIRA Colorado Reading. We'd love to hear more from you. And again, if you're looking for new content, please send any questions or Things you'd be interested in seeing from CCIRA to cciravideo at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great week.